John in Cacophony tells you that, once again, it's the Powder 3 podcast. It's November, it's Doctor Who month, or hashtag Doctor Who 60. Hashtag Doctor Who 60. Or if you prefer, hashtag Whovember. That's not really taken off, has it? It's quite good, though. It's better than some that we've seen. Whovember's alright, doesn't upset me. Okay, that's fine then. Right. Well, at least it's not Whovie in November. Ah, ah, kill, ah, kill, ah, kill. Uh, <coughs> I've just died. Yes, um, I'm Kenny Smith and I'm going to be here on my own now since Dave's just died. Hang on, we better resurrect him. Shh. Yes, yeah, so that was me resurrecting. Hello everyone, David Steele here. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. We're doing another 10th Doctor book today. We are. Um, because obviously, as we've said elsewhere, David Tennant is returning as a doctor and we've got some days to fill, so we're looking at some more of the books that featured him that were released in 2009 when there wasn't a full series and he didn't have a companion. So today, which one are we doing, Kenny? Today we are going to have a look at and discussion of Judgment of the Jadoon. You a big fan of the Jadoon? Yes, I think absolutely hilarious. I remember when I'm... Um, Joanna and I watched Smith and Jones when it first went out and the first time the Judoon spoke and we immediately both fell about laughing and then repeated the lines back and every time a Judoon spoke we were in stitches. I think they're great. One of the best stories in Sarah Jane Adventures is the one with the Judoon. I can't remember what series it starts. The Green... Was it the Green Box? <laughs> series whichever, 3. Whichever the Green Book DVD box was, I think. <laughs> Which is your favourite series of Sarah Jane's? The, the Green one. The purple one. The Green one. The yellow yes. one. No, I mean, the Green was the first one. I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Anyway. Um, yeah, I think they are absolutely brilliant. I've kind of felt that they've been a little underused on TV. There's also... They're also used very amusingly in that... I forgot what it's called, the jury episodes. If you just just the, 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 yeah. the very the vaguely contentious one, as I like to call it, because it's got that, that um, <laughs> there's the bit obviously in Smith and Jones when the Doctor says Jadun platoon upon the moon. Yep. And then the bit in the fugitive where the jury says, you know, stomping about, blah blah blah, Jadun you know, next to a lagoon and then Yaz is like it's more of a canal or whatever it is, and that bit absolutely <laughs> made me laugh because it's quite funny. I like that sort of a gentle throwback rather than you know, uh, a desperate continuity reference. So yes, I like the Jadun. Do you like the Jadun? I do like the Jadun. I actually, obviously I've got the action figures, of course I do. The original ones that came out, the the Jadun Captain. I got one of the tall... I got the tall one in Asda Tory Glen for about a tenner. I got it for Christmas that year. I was actually looking for it in my <laughs> cupboard and I could because it was way at the back and I was right. running late so I didn't want to... There is a photograph um, somewhere because I got the... 10th Doctor one as well that year yep. so that must have been I guess 2007 I've got the spacesuit version right I've just got him in his, in his suit and my mum had a probably still has it a sort of Santa Claus sort of doll type stand up thing which is in the same scale as the Jadun oh fantastic the Doctor. so I also took a photograph of the Jadun sort of scanning Santa Claus and, you know, <laughs> put, a, put a speech bubble on it in the days of MySpace yes I love the Jadun don't sleep with it like a teddy bear or anything that yeah. would be just weird Yep. Now, did you see any of the pictures from the Star Beast premiere? There was that like, people in the in the foyer and stuff like that yes. outside. Did you notice there was a cuddly version of some of the aliens that Don has met? There's like a nude, cuddly nude. Right. There's a cuddly uh, adipose, and there was also a cuddly sort of spa- rhino thing. Oh, I didn't and, see that. And there was oh, a picture. Right. I think it was Darren Scott. Right. From SFX. Uh-huh. By SFX. Great magazine. Yes, the latest issue is fantastic. Some really. I'm holding. A, I'm going to hold a copy of it up for the benefit of our YouTube viewers. Plug plug. Some really good interviews with with DT and Russell and some other people. You should you should go and read it and go back. Apparently it's close to selling out, so you should yep. try and track one down. Yes. Anyway, 
you're saying curly versions of some of the I didn't yes. see them I saw um, obviously listeners this gives it away because it was what was it we're recording this on the 8th of November yes so was that two days was it last night or the night before I think? two nights two nights ago yeah because yeah, there was lovely photographs of Sylvester and Colin and gradually we saw that Carol Ann was there and Wendy and Sophie and I Katie think, and Janet I think Paul was there as well Paul who? Sure. Paul McGann was he? I haven't seen a I'm sure I saw a picture of him Ooh. there but he, I think he must have turned up late but I'm sure I saw a picture right, of him there right interesting interesting no I hadn't seen the, the curly doing that's, 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 that's pretty cool yeah cool. It's, a, it's all in obviously it's there for new roles yeah Cuddly toys for yeah, the um, that's um, yeah, that's very interesting. I hadn't seen that. I'm glad to keep my eyes peeled. Mm. Yes, this is the Jadun appreciation segment of the podcast. Which? I love a Jadun, don't you, great mate? <laughs> this book, then, yeah, but well, before we oh, get why sorry. don't we? We've actually got before we discuss the book, right? Why don't we hear what's on the back page? But we actually have a celebrity guest. Oh, what? So I can't read out the blurb, I'm not gutted. today, right? I'm afraid that you can't do because if you listen closely, mm. you'll hear some stomping right now. because we actually have Jadun Commander Rock Mad himself to read this out. Language assimilated. Greetings, humanoids. Do not laugh. Jadun do not like laughter. Humor not understood. Are you available to communicate, David Steele, human? <laughs> Yes, are you going to read the blog? Are you going to read the blog for us then? Come on, Commander Rockman, get on with it. <laughs> Elvis the King spaceport has grown into the sprawling city-state of New Memphis, an urban jungle where organised crime is rife. But the launch of the new Terminal 13 hasn't been as smooth as expected, and things are about to get worse. When the Doctor arrives, he finds the Hulk terminal locked down. The notorious invisible assassin is at work again, and the Shadrun troopers sent to catch him will stop at nothing to complete their mission. With the assassin loose on the main streets of New Memphis, the Doctor is forced into a strange alliance. Together with teenage private eye Nikki and a ruthless Shadrun captain, I am ruthless. The Doctor soon discovers that things are even more complicated and dangerous than he first thought. Featuring the Doctor, as played by David Dennett in the hit series from BBC Television, Fiction, UK, £6.99. Commander Rockman, that was great. Thank yeah. you, Commander. How, how lovely to see you. Um, thank you for not taking my door off the hinges when you entered there. Yep, I think you should teleport out of here now, Commander. <laughs> this Jotun does not take orders from humans, but I shall go. Goodbye. Yeah, catch you. Don't let the door hit your backside on the way out. Well, don't mess with Jadun to wear leather skirts. Yes. Um, How the kill? Gosh, I wasn't expecting that. Listeners, were you? <laughs> um, right. So we should probably talk about it then. I what think we should. Now, Commander Rockman's gone. Yes, I bought. This was the only one out of these three that I bought back in two thousand nine. And when I went to to pick it up, because I didn't, I knew that I hadn't read it completely back in the time. When I went last week to pick it up to read it again I found my return ticket from Mount Florida to Glasgow Central Station dated um, the 19th of October 2009 oh wow stuck in the page 28 page 29 so that was as far as I'd got when I yep. started to read it at the time I can't remember why I stopped reading it at the time I obviously didn't get very far but obviously I got a lot um, 
further with it this time. I guess I'm thinking back to that period. I think there was an awful lot of stuff going on, so I probably wasn't fully able to concentrate on it. But yes, I, I enjoyed this very much. Compared to some of the other ones, the Doctor wasn't quite a centre stage. Compared to, say, especially Prison of the Daleks, I felt, and also compared to the Crelatine Storm, which you've also read recently, I felt that this one, we didn't get inside the Doctor's head quite as much, which was a refreshing change, to be honest. It was it was quite it was quite good. Nikki was the the sort of teenage private eye, and you know, obviously the the companion figure for this book. She gets a lot more to do than say Emily from the Crelatine Storm or say Kate. Actually, probably in a balance with Kate from Autonomy, but. Kate was a bit more anyway I know what I mean um, but no it was it was very much I think Nikki's story You could, and it felt from that way a bit more authentic as a, a 2009 special because obviously Lady Christina was quite forefronted in Planet of the Dead for example and my mate Dave Morrissey was quite foregrounded in The Next Doctor but no I, I liked this one a lot it was um, very different a, you know, a very different location from the other ones I mean you could argue a similarity in a way to maybe Hyperworld is that what it was called? yeah, yeah. but you very quickly you find yourself sort of caught up in the intrigue and everything that's going on in this, you know, Elvis themed spaceport and it was um it was really interesting. Out of the, all these this little group that we're, that we're talking about, it's you know it's the most sort of police procedural investigation, sort of crime fictiony type thing. And that was really, really interesting. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think that the character of Nikki who mentioned Bull. We'll come back to her a little bit later after we've heard from Colin Brake mm-hmm. so I can discuss some things there and a new TV show I've discovered as a result. But I really loved the combination of Nikki and her old friend there, Captain Rock Ma. Mm. I really enjoyed their double act, the fact that there's more to this Judoon having started off as your typical procedural Judoon yeah. and then became a lot, a lot more personality. In fact. And you can see it developing and growing as the Doctor's surprised by a sense of humour yeah those scenes are all really 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 nice when you know when they sort of realise that, that he's laughing and, and stuff at various points I liked all the, 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 the sort of the scenes where he would burst in and rescue people also and you feel a bit sort of worried about him at times because you know he's he puts himself in danger and he's, he's at risk in a few occasions I have to say I guessed who um, the widow was yep. very very I wrote on my my wheel ticket which I used as a bookmark I wrote Page one hundred and ten. Is Hope the widow, or the old, or is it the old lady? So let's have a look at what it, something. There must be something on page one hundred and ten that prompted me to say that. Let's have a look. Yeah, do yeah. It's just Nikki filling the doctor, and then who everything, who everyone is, and the uncle's um, organisation, and that's that's probably what it occurred to me. I thought, I thought it was maybe a shame that I guessed that quite. I worked that out quite so well. It seemed a bit of an obvious sort of twist, but. There was just so much other good stuff in the book. It didn't really matter, to be honest. I, th- I think part of, it was one of these things where you know this is you have to remember this book is written for a younger audience, so you can have imagined the younger audience have probably been encouraged to think about who the widow would be, and probably to be encouraged to feel that sense of pride or, or excitement if they have guessed it and they're just waiting to see when it's going to be revealed. Yeah, you know that was quite good. Really kind of down things I felt with this one. There was an awful lot of there was an awful lot of Nicky crawling about and amongst the fake ceiling. <laughs> you know, and hiding from stuff whilst other conversations were going on. Those got a little bit repetitive after a while. But the the real joy about this book is, as we've said, the use of the Judoon and the developing relationship between Doctor Nikki and the Judoon. That 
was it was fun to spend time with him and you can know when it finished you kind of half wanted something else to creep up that would keep the doctor there so that they would have to go and solve another problem yeah did you work out what had happened to Nicky's dad no I didn't guess that at all okay I remembered that which right. was a bit annoying okay because like <laughs> damn it yeah but I mean for me it's still a it's so well written and it moves at such a pace mm-hmm. and the location is so imaginable you can picture it as the, an American almost like downtown shadowy yeah. Film you noir know, almost t- at times. Touch the Blade Runners to it, you could imagine. Yeah. And I've got a memory that we've had a conversation for I think an episode that hasn't been out yet when I'm a bit dismissive of that sort of thing as a backdrop. But this one wasn't too Blade Runner. It was a great idea, like everything named after Elvis. There's a mention of like an establishment named after you know, named after Hound Dog and stuff. Now, would yeah. have been too annoyed if they'd had a few more things that were named after Elvis songs because they're kind of creeping in. So which was good. I wonder which Elvis song Kenny will let me pick to play out with today, listeners. Uh-huh. A, A. But no, I, I like this one a lot, and I was a little bit. I wasn't even annoyed at myself for not reading it in the build up to what was the Mars being on telly because I really enjoyed it this time, and I probably would have been too distracted at the time to get as much out as I did this time. Excellent. Well, let's stop yattering for a yattering. That's not even a word. Yes, we'll keep um, it in though. Let's open Channel D and talk to Mr. Colin Brake. Uh, hello, I'm Colin Brake, and I wrote Judgment of the Jadoon. I suppose, first of all, I should say, cough, blow, blow, no, oh, hello. <laughs> that would be good. Um, so, and I'd, I'd answer you back, but my Jadoon slipped, I'm afraid, over the years. Oh, that's because you obviously you were fluent when you wrote it, but it's, you haven't <laughs> had to use it ever since. So, welcome, Colin. Thanks very much for joining us today. Pleasure to be here. Let's wind the clock back. Do you remember when you got the email to do this one? Because obviously you'd had experience of writing previously in this new novel's range. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure if I can remember an email. And I I did look back, but I had a computer blow up and I've lost a lot of emails from that time. But I think it was was actually an in-person conversation. I think I'd been to a convention or a signing or something similar possibly for the Dark Smith legacy. And it was, I think, down Bristol Way or Bath Way. And Justin was giving me a lift back up to the Midlands. And in, on that journey, he mentioned the possibility of there being another book that I could do in this series of uh, a trio of books that were focused on different monsters. And it was like, okay, that sounds cool. Uh, so I'm thinking, you know, excitement, whatever. And he's like, okay, Jadoon. And I'm like, Okay, to do. That sounds cool. And so we, I think that's where it started. I don't think it was an email as such. I think it was, you know, do you fancy a crack at a Jadoon story? And we went from there. And I'm fairly certain I had to do a, a obviously a treatment and a sample chapter. Um, Steve Cole was the was involved at some point along the line, I think. But Steve Tribe was the the actual book editor, I think. But yeah, so it was it was I think starting with Justin. And Justin, of course, Justin and Andy had started me off in the whole Doctor Who prose game from going back to the short stories in Decalogue, Decalogue 3, which was my first prose piece for Doctor Who. Uh, and they commissioned me for that. Uh, and so, yeah, it was, it was all, all down to Justin, bless him. You'd written, of course, for the BBC Books range previously. So how did you find it when you first came on board with this new range because obviously there would be 
a lot more sort of BBC hands-on activity, given that you're tying in with an ongoing live brand. Yeah, I, I, I suppose it was. There was a little bit more. I didn't really. You get in a way, you're you're protected from that by your editors and the like. You are. You're, you're, the process of actually coming up with an idea is the same. It's just it's got to go through a couple of more gatekeepers who are going to approve it along the way. So you know, your editor likes it. Your line editor likes it. The BBC then have to like it, and somebody in the BBC offices has to like the Doctor Who offices has to like it. So it's just an extra layer, really. I mean, for me, the thing about um, Jadoon was that obviously I'd written one for the BBC before that had gone okay, but for me, it was I, I'd finally begun to get a little bit more confident in writing prose. I find prose much more difficult than writing script. My background is telescripts. That's what I, I, I started out doing. It's where I'm comfortable and. When I wrote Escape Velocity, as we may have discussed in another time in another place, I felt that I was very much learning the ropes and, and trying to write a 65,000 word novel and finding prose quite difficult. And it was slightly easier when I got to Colony of Lies. And then that little bit easier when I got to Christ of Paradise. Uh, but the Jadoon, I really felt much happier with when I, when I got to it. And flicking through it the other day, in preparation for this chat, I was pleasantly surprised that it, it's not bad at all. I'm quite pleased. So I suppose that this is one where you would go back, you'd watch Smith and Jones, you'd watch the Sarah Jane Adventures, I would imagine, to get the just to get the feel for them and just to get that sort of their attitude captured. Yes, definitely. I, did have that, I, I had that idea of them being very much bull in a time shop, or sort of rhino in a something else. But um, <laughs> that, that notion, which is why, I, I, and that the opening of the book came to me quite quickly. The notion of them, you know, almost accidentally killing somebody through their brutal and unthought of action to sort of stop a criminal, um, and then the doctor having to turn up and rescue that person. And I, I, I quite like that as a kind of as a pre-credit hook as it were and then once we got into it i was very i was very aware of the trick that you they often have to do in the tv programs where you you basically have a representative speaking act person for the for the, the race so you have like one speaking nibbon or one speaking sontaran or whatever it is uh, and i thought that would be the way to go uh, in rather than having a, a whole bunch of, of different Jadoon. So I, I isolated my one Jadoon character and sent the rest off to be off-camera activity, as it were, which seemed to be a good idea. Uh, and then it was a question of coming up with a story that was going to involve the Doctor and this Jadoon. I suppose it's, it's possibly my comics background, I'm a comic reader, big comic reader. So you're thinking about sort of the way that Marvel team-up operates by thrusting together people who really don't deserve to be in each other's worlds and and have to then have an adventure or solve a case or or deal with a problem. So that was sort of where I started, the sort of the team up possibility of the Doctor having to work with the Jadoon on a case. I think we should point out uh, right now that you're a bit of a Marvel fan given what's behind you on the shelves right now. Uh, oh, there's plenty there. It's also, it's also my t-shirt, which I'm wearing, proudly wearing a, a Spidey t-shirt. Yeah, we go back a long way, Spider-Man and I, I think we were pretty much born in the same year but um, yes I'm a big Marvel fan and in fact I was thinking about some of the influences on this on the plot and setting of Jadoon 
and there are there are three things that fed into it. I mean, I, I don't know. Was it Terence who said we need his original idea? It doesn't have to be your original idea. I think that's a, a, a Dixism. And so there were three things feeding into this. One was Veronica Mars. Now, at the time, Veronica Mars was was a was a big, relatively popular. Uh, American detective show with a female lead. She was a young girl. She was the daughter of a detective and she kind of took it on for herself. And from that description, you will see how I got to my uh, character, Nikki, in the book, a, a detective who is part of her father's detective agency. As in Veronica Mars, I wanted her to have the focus and to lose the father and we found a way to do that. So Veronica Mars was was influence number one and definitely was a big part in the way I was thinking about the character of Nikki. Uh, the second influence was the 87th Precinct novels of Ed McBain. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with these. They're brilliant, brilliant books. Ed McBain was also uh, known as Evan Hunter, or perhaps Evan Hunter was known as Ed McBain. Wonderful writer, and the 87th Precinct novels are a, a, a fantastic series of procedures, police procedures set in a not New York. It's a it's another East Coast city with a lot of similarities to New York, a fictional New York, if you like, uh, much like the way DC fictionalizes their American cities. And these the book started in the fifties, and they ran right away. I think until just before he died in, I think the early two thousands, and. Like the Marvel Universe, the um, the timescale is kind of compressed, so they always feel contemporary to the, when they're being written, but somehow the characters from the 50s are still relatively young in 2000. So um, just one of those little narrative tricks that people do with their with their long-running series. But the, the big thing about the uh, 87th Precinct was its um, depiction of this New York, and I think there's a lot of the 87th Precinct's anonymous northeastern American city in the metropolis in Jadun. And the third big influence on the plot and setting of this story, I think, is the early Spider-Man stories. And I'm thinking of that run, particularly as, as you move from the Ditko to um, the Ramita period in the um, mid-60s, late-60s, possibly as Stanley is handed over to Roy Thomas, but perhaps not quite that far. But the time when there was a lots of lots of crime lords, often you didn't know the identity of who of them and they, it was a secret and it was a surprise as to who they were. I mean I'm not just thinking about people like um, the Green Goblin and Kingpin, but there were others with names like Big K or something. I, I, I it's a while since I've read early Spider Man, but that notion of these um, crime lords, for want of a better word, possibly with sort of exotic names like Uncle or the the Widow, whatever it was in here, and uh, that was the third element, I think. It's interesting to say that as the as an influence because for me reading it, you know, particularly being a spaceport, I found it quite sort of. I suppose there is like a comic influence, but I found it quite 2000 AD. I think that's fair to say too. I mean, uh, uh, 2000 AD is, is an odd one for me. Um, as a long-term Marvel reader and superhero reader and, and comic reader generally, 2000 AD came along 
almost a little too late for me. I, I, I did read uh, the first couple of years worth, but then I was off to be a student. Never quite engaged with it as much as with some of the other fictional universities and worlds that I've come across, with the exception perhaps of Robo Hunter, which I particularly loved. But yes, that feel, the way that their, um, their future worlds looked and worked, would also have been an influence on this. But perhaps not that strongly because I didn't, I wasn't that much of a of a 2008 D person, if you see what I mean. It's definitely there. It was, it's, but then that's that's the sort of shared approach to SF that you know I share with people like Andrew Cartmel, and um, you know when when I rocked up at the BBC in the late 80s when Andrew was on Doctor Who, we became mates mainly because I I met him in a, a BBC lift and he was wearing a V Vendetta T-shirt. And I knew what it was, uh, and then we hit it off. So, you know, and we had that shared notion of, of you know, the future. And and there's, and then um, of course Russell T had picked up on that in, in early days of the revived series. I mean, there's a Gronkberger in the book, isn't there? Picking up uh, the Gronkberger that was in one of the early Tenant Martha stories. There's a mention of Gronkberger, uh, isn't there? It's in uh, the Long Game. Ah, there you go, even earlier. So it's all that kind of, it's all there. It's all part of the, the milieu that you're, you're pulling bits from, aren't you, all the time. So yeah, definitely. I found that your characterization of Tennant was absolutely spot on. I take it that's just that natural sort of thing that as fans you have, you know what dialogue sounds right when you're a fan and you know what words to put into their mouth. And I'm sure you had the awful experience of having to watch lots of episodes as research just to get the Absol- tone. Of course. And, and But yes, I mean, the, the, I think that's that comes back to being a, a the script writer. You, tend, you do try to tune into an actor's rhythms and an actor's way of delivering something, whether it's an actor in a, a soap opera or it's an actor in, in Doctor Who. So yeah, I, I enjoyed writing Tenant Sculpture uh, in both this and, and uh, Price of Paradise. When I read, I flicked through the other day and I, I thought I might have done one or two too many Alonzo. Like, I think it was like, I did it three or four times and I thought, you know, once or twice would be enough. It, was, it wasn't that much of a catchphrase. It was, so I, I could have, I would have trimmed back on that if I'd taken another pass at it perhaps. But yeah, it was a joy to write The Doctor, that Doctor. Uh, in fact, did I write him again in some of the Decide Your Destinies? I think I probably did. But um, it, it was, uh, yeah, that was great fun. And uh, and then around that, you have to build up your own characters. Uh, and again, you go back to my soap opera background. You, you have a sense of who these characters are and how they speak, and you go from there. I mean, one thing that I thought that didn't quite work as well as it could was having two different characters in disguise. I think I just about get away with it. I think, but I, I, there was a. I think the reveal of them both was a bit close to each other. I think it was the one bit of plotting and pacing that I think wasn't quite sure about, because that was the other thing I was in, I was pleased with, was that it was nicely paced and nicely plotted, and moved about quite nicely in this in this world from the spaceport into the city and back again. I thought, you know, as a piece of plots are hard, you know plots are the hardest bit um, writing dialogue and, and sort of you know writing action sequences are quite fun but plot getting the story to work and the reveals to work especially in something that is a mystery is quite hard 
my brain bamboozles it to the way that things are layered and things are built up. So how did you enjoy creating the uh, the big bad of the story? Just creating the, the adversary of the week, effectively. Um, that was fun because it was it was it was quite a there was quite a, a it's, it's quite a, a, a varied there's ele- different elements to it. You've got the invisible assassin. Is that a person? It's not a person. You've got uncle. You've got the widow uh, who was sort of uh, who cancel each other out in a way, and you've got the uh, uh, the chap who's um, on the hook for the for the airport, the investor. So there's quite a there's a quite a lot of sort of bad guys knocking about, but that, and that's that's kind of the genre because it slightly slips into the the detective genre slightly. I mean the other influence we just I haven't really discussed is it's a little bit of sort of Chandler-esque, the Maltese Falcon kind of malarkey going on, you know where where everybody's a bit dodgy really they're all over the shop. And they're all kind of competing, and you've got then you've got the the, the albino twins as well, uh, which were quite fun as a as a sort of very visual pair of bad guys to 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 loom and and, and eventually sort of just disappear because they're not you know, they've served their purpose. But it was just a question of coming up with people with different motives. I mean, you've got the MacGuffin, you've got this whole business of a of a of a chip that allows access to a locker. Well, that's classic. Um, that's classic Hitchcock plotting, isn't it? To to come up with the device that somebody wants. And to be honest, I, I don't. I mean, I don't remember the process of putting it together. It must have grown, and it must have. It must have been organic. I think it must have. I mean, I started with. I must have come up with the notion that Hope, uh, the lovely daughter of Uncle, who was innocent and sweet, was actually a bad guy. And once you've got that, then you start to build everything around it. it it's it's is a it's a building game plotting, uh, and you carefully place all these bits. And once you've seen the bits you're getting to, you can bring bits forward that will set that up. And that's the joy. I like it. And you, what you do is you you try to make it so that eventually you pay everything off. You set up and pay it off. You've got the character. You've got the old lady who comes in at the beginning. You've got the two, uh, the twins, enforcers. You've got Uncle. You've got the widow. You've got Hope. You've got Nikki, and you kind of set them all up, and you hope it goes bam, 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 bam at the end, and you get your happy result of, of an exciting conclusion with a bit of luck. Yeah, I, I do like uh, the fact that um, you've got uh, Nikki Jupiter, not Veronica Mars. It's a, it's a lovely little <laughs> nod. Did you have anyone's voice in mind when you were writing her? I presume I presume I probably was thinking of Veronica Mars herself, which is um, Kristen Bell, isn't it? Yes, yes good. My, my, my memory's not completely gone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've got the, I've got a, a lovely um, I've got a, a DVD of the first series of Veronica Mars, possibly the first two series, still shrink wrapped in a pile somewhere to be watched again when I get a chance. One other thing I found particularly amusing was the use of the spaceport's name as being uh, Elvis the King spaceport, which is just such a Russell T. Davis sort of thing to do, or a bit of 2000 AD. I would imagine that this is probably partly based on some experiences you've had travelling from airports. It certainly was, and at that time that would have that would have definitely been uh, bearing in mind 
we've been to I've been to um, I've been to Memphis and been to Graceland on our not on our honeymoon the year following our honeymoon so 95 so it would have been it would have been in memory you know not one recent but it's in memory and yeah we have travelled a lot and so a lot of airports and that definitely fed into uh, the spaceport stuff for sure I, was this 2009 wasn't it so yep. I think, I think, trying to think back, I think we hadn't long been to Singapore and Hong Kong and Bali, and I would imagine there's a bit of a bit of Singapore airport in there. I think, in terms of influence. Interesting, because it definitely came across to me that way. It's one of those things that you think, oh, yeah, this is one that's uh, somebody's not had a good flight somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> The thing that I really like about this is the the pace because we've got, as you mentioned earlier, there's the the action sequences, and then it, it it calms down again, and there's there's a really nice pacing to it without it, you know, the frenetic. Oh no, we've got to stop, you know, Davros pressing the button before he destroys everything. I think there's quite, a, and I think that's quite the pace of it is is quite refreshing that way. There's not the the obvious, you must do it or else we're all doomed. Well, it's it. difficult because you, 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 you want to have the, you have to drive through the narrative. You've got to have questions. You've got to have uh, things you're going, oh, that's confusing or that's annoying. We need to resolve that to push you on through the narrative. And eventually you do need some kind of ticking clock. And we do have bombs going off and having to be, having to find the, the way to disarm them, which is a sort of classic kind of third act um, climax stuff. Stop it before he presses the big red button. But at the same time, because it's a mystery, you've got enough plot that you you don't have to fill. You don't have to go spend ages sort of doing huge character studies, and there's enough plot to keep you moving. So you you don't have to you know like I say sort of fill out a bit because there's a, there's not enough story. There's plenty of stories, plenty of incident, there's plenty of of, of characters, um, and that that helps having. Once you've got, you know, you've got obviously got Nikki and the Jadoon and you've got the Doctor, and then you've you've got Dad as well as an antagonist and as a protagonist in a, in a sense. You've got plenty of people to cut between and plenty of action going on, so it does help and it, and it gives you a very satisfying. You know, it's a, it's not a it's not a short book. Um, I can't remember how many words it was in the end, but it, you know, it's a, it's a good length, but it doesn't flag. Uh, and it, in fact, you know, when I was flicking through, I was getting towards the end and thinking. Christ, I haven't left myself a lot of pages to get to the end of this. Am I going to make it? Am I going to crush it? But actually, it all worked out quite nicely. I was a bit surprised. Yeah. You must have been delighted when you first saw the cover, I would imagine, just sort of like, here we go. It's yes, sort of, it's absolutely. It becomes more tangible. It, it, it is. And it, it's, it, it's gloriously simple. You know, there's Tennant, there's the Dune, and there's that. You know, it does look quite New Yorkish, the city in the background. So, Magic, yeah, I loved it. I'm, I'm, I had no problem with that at all. I was very pleased. Really good reviews on release. That must have been so yeah. pleasing for you. Just, just to think yeah, people are enjoying when you've put months in. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very difficult because I, on the one hand, I'm very, very aware that Doctor Who fans generally, I'm talking broadly, can be critical. We all know that. We, and we, we're all fans and we all do it. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, and, and I, I'd felt 
as I think we talked about before, that escape velocity came in for a, a lot of criticism, some justified because it was clunky in places and, and some unjustified. But yes, I felt that, that I thought this was a, I'd done a good job with this one. I was pleased with it and I was pleased with the way it was received. And it was really nice when you asked me to talk about it and I went back to it. I was pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoyed flicking through it. In fact, I might give it a proper read again because it was it was good fun. Um, and it's surprising. It's always nice when you surprise yourself. When you you know you forget you, when you write a lot of stuff, you forget things you've done. You forget lines of dialogue you've written. You forget things you've done, or even little narrative tricks you've done. And um, sometimes that's a good thing because then you you find yourself reusing them again and again. You're careful, and, and I was pleasantly surprised going back. So I thought, yeah, this was all right actually, which is good because I mean I haven't done a lot of prose of length since. I'm really pleased that you're know, looking back on it has brought um, has brought a smile to your face, and you're feeling proud you were, and that's something that I think is is a wonderful thing. That a little bit of time travel and what 14 years, and uh, there you go. It's uh, entertaining yourself with your own work, which is lovely. It is nice, and it's also nice to to remember what one has achieved in one's life. It's quite nice. I mean, I'm not I'm not finished yet. I hope to do much more. I'm busy working at the moment on, on Doctors, on the daytime soap, which is great. And um, But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still batting away there. And uh, if I get a chance to write some, uh, some tardy stuff again in the future, I'll be very, very grateful. Well, fingers crossed. Colin, thank you so much for your time. It's been a joy. Pleasure too. Thank you. Massive thanks to Colin, who is such a joy to chat with, and he was just so nice when we got to meet him at, yes, Novel Experiences. I think I got my copy of Escape Velocity signed. I think that's what I got signed from Colin. Yeah, that's what I... Because I I couldn't obviously get the judgement of the June signed because I hadn't read it yet. Did you ask him about the, the, the man from Uncle Joke on page 183? I should have done because I spotted that when I was reading it. But, <laughs> yeah, Open Channel Dean, get me uncle. I thought that was fantastic. Yes. I, you can see I folded the corner. Yes, so that's that very good. I remember good. to raise that. No, the thing that uh, Colin mentioned there regarding a TV series was that Nikki Jupiter is, of course, based on Veronica Mars. So obvious when you think about it, listeners. Which I'd never watched at that point. I knew of it, and I knew of Kristen Bell's work in The Good Place, which mm-hmm. is really, really funny really good show yeah. Ted Danson's fantastic have I've, you seen I've, it? no I've heard of both of them but I haven't seen them at all well I have watched the first episode of Veronica Mars just after sort of doing the, the editing the interview and thought right. okay I'll give this a go Okay, and I bloody love it excellent I don't know what it is I mentioned this to one of my colleagues at work today and uh, we we're, were talking about Mean Girls for some reason and I was saying how much I love it uh-huh. and then I mentioned Veronica Mars and they're saying Kenny are you a teenage girl? <laughs> <laughs> mean Girls is one of the greatest films of all time I can't I believe agree. it's going to be 20 years old next year oh I know apparently there's a movie of a new of a new movie coming of a stage version of it oh um, interesting so I'm going to name drop here I saw Scott Mendelson talking about that on Twitter earlier on okay so that would be interesting to keep our eyes and ears yeah. peeled for um, I remember one of the, the old HMV movie nights back in the day was we watched Mean Girls and I was just astonished at how good it was. Yes. How funny it was. Very, very good. Yeah. But okay. yes, back to the Jadoon. Talking of very, very good, why don't you tell us what the Doctor Who magazine review had to say? What issue does it come from? Since obviously Commander Rockmass stole your thunder yes. for your reading bit, so tell us what you've got. Issue here. 414, which I actually have immediately to hand by sheer fluke because, as I might have said in other episodes, I've been posting on my Instagram on, on a dedicated Instagram called Who Book Comics and on my Twitter 
feed. For Kenny's entertainment, if no one else's, I've been posting comic book covers with the names of original Doctor Who fiction on them, and I'm a couple of days away from starting to post the 10th Doctor ones. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the ones that I picked out to use as the backdrop to whichever 10th Doctor books that I found. So it's by sheer fluke, I have it to hand. Picking up maybe two thirds of the way through Matt's review. The book is at its strongest exploring the mismatched relationship between Rockman and the Doctor and works best as a kind of 1980s odd couple cop caper. Which is fair, that's mm-hmm. good. Pushing the metaphor in those films would usually be a woman complicating matters and so we have Nikki Jupiter, the Nancy Jewish daughter of a local PI who assists and frustrates the investigations in equal measure. While she fulfills the role of a young female companion to the Doctor and her relationship with her absentee father is a necessary counterpoint to other themes in the novel, it's hard to shake the feeling that the book would have got more mileage out of focusing on the Doctor and Rockman's partnership. Break signposts some of his twists way too early, meaning that some moments that are meant to be surprising end up fizzling out for readers who've been paying attention. That said, he crammed enough twists in that at least one or two hit the mark and means that Judgment of the Judoon ends up as a qualified success. Hmm... Did we like it more than Matt then, I think? I definitely did. I think think it was another one that I started and found it really hard to stop because I enjoyed it so much. Yes. I really enjoyed the characterisation, perhaps because I was picturing Nikki as a young Kristen Bell. (laughs) I'm not sure who I... I, I sort of I didn't have trouble sort of picturing as a sort of young spiky-haired blonde. Actually, I pictured Talia Storm. That's who I pictured. That says an awful lot about my preoccupations, listeners. I can only apologise. Yeah, that's definitely what I pictured. No, I liked it a lot. I think it's, I know, again, I think Matt's maybe, as we sort of said, forgetting that these were these books were really aimed at a younger audience and you want to encourage their thinking and all that sort of stuff and to try and work out what could be going on and and do some speculation about who's who and, you know, and who the widow might be and all that. So I think it worked very well. I mean, it's probably fair to say that you could have made it muddier, but that probably wouldn't have been as much fun because you know it's satisfying when you're reading something and you twig or you or you're watching something and you twig what's going on. In the same way that say, you know, I worked out that as soon as Amy Pond said she was pregnant, I guess that River with a baby, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's a similar sort of thing. It's fun to kind of guess these sort of things. Well, I think we can say thumbs up from us. Yes, we liked it a lot. I mean, I was this one genuinely. I was very as much as I. I rattled through it because it's not a difficult read. I was quite, quite sad when it finished. Yeah, yeah. quite happy. Could have you know could have gone for another 40, 50 pages, and I wouldn't have minded. It was very good. I agree. I agree. Oh, oh well, that's us. Another book done. Absolutely. Another bites of dust. Cool. We're not having that as a track. No, that's not by Elvis. I don't know how litigious. So, I would pick. Um, if I, Kenny, you know, you're asking me if I was going to pick an Elvis song to play it with, I'd probably say his latest flame because it's a real favourite but you have something else in mind I do have something else in mind which I think is actually a really good track and I had it on a loop uh, from YouTube today while I was working it's the theme tune to Veronica Mars it's called We Used To Be Friends and it's by the Dandy Warhols that's a great song cool there we go right cheers folks I think I'm back tomorrow I'm you are count. oh am I right that's yes. fine well once again, listeners, I'll refer you to the Earth 2 podcast because Kenny's appearing in a couple of episodes around about now. I'm not sure when. Yeah, 23rd, I believe I'm on. 23rd, but you're also in the following weeks as well. Excellent. So, if you haven't got enough Dave Steele and Kenny Smith in your ears this month, please feel free to check out my other podcasting endeavour. That'll be fun. It'll be marvellous. Go on. Enjoy. No, it'll be dc Lewis. Yes. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> well, right. right, we'll see you tomorrow, kids. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.